Morning Thrive Church, how are we doing this morning? Hey, it's great to have you guys with us today. Well, we are in a series called You Asked For It, answering questions that you've asked and that people all around the world are asking about Christianity, God, faith, the Bible, things of that nature. Before we jump in, though, I do want to say this today, um, if you are new or newer to Thrive, or if you just come and sit and you don't serve, you're not connected to groups, um, we, we want you to get connected. Uh, Thrive is not just a church, it's a community. I'm going to say it one more time. Thrive is not just a church, it's a community. And uh, amen, like, and here we want you to belong. And that's the greatest thing you can do is to belong to a community of faith, not just attend a church service. So whether you're watching online or here physically and you're like, man, I, I do, I want to find out more about Thrive. I want to look under the hood of Thrive Church. What you need to do is this. We have our Connect Gathering after service today. It's going to be in the cafe over here. Pastor Keith's going to lead that. Um, you say, well, listen, um, I need childcare. We've got childcare for you. Well, I'm going to be a little hungry. Well, we've got snacks for you. Um, this is your chance to find out more about Thrive. And please, if you didn't sign up, that's fine. Please attend our Connect Gathering today after the service. Well, you've been asking questions, and I've been trying to give biblical answers to these and helping you. Um, it's been really neat. We've probably had the greatest response of any series we've ever had here uh, because you're getting your questions answered. You're actually learning what scriptures say. And so as I say each week before I jump in, I want to let you know it's not my job to tell you what to believe. It's my job to show you what the different beliefs within Christianity are. There's a lane of Christianity, a box of Christianity, like a sandbox, right? And within that, you have different denominations and different beliefs, and within that's Protestant Christianity. What you're going to need to do is decide after you study what you believe in that. It's not what I believe. It's what the scriptures say. It's what Protestant Christianity, what our doctrine says. And you got to decide where do you land on that. Um, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to deal with um, kind of, you know, um, salvation, predestination, the Bible. We're going to deal with church and questions that some of you have asked with that. And I want to start off with this one. And I did not um, curb the questions or try to make them or change them because I wanted to get exactly what people are asking. So the first question about this, it is, since we were made in God's image and he wanted a close relationship with us, why did he make us susceptible to Satan's powers? Why did he make us with the ability to be tempted so Adam and Eve would never bite the apple? Well, first of all, in the Garden of Eden in the fall, we know that Satan was allowed to go in there and there was two trees in the garden, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and the tree of life, right? And Satan, again, tested Eve, tempted her, and she ended up eating, and we don't know if it's an apple or not. Listen, don't give apples a bad rap. They did nothing to you. <laughs> That fruit could have been something like, you know, like a, like a mango or something. Let's, uh, let's, let's drop the apple. But that's the question. And one of the things you're going to see, the themes you're going to see in all these questions is, this is crazy. Well, since God foreknew, then why? Very big theme in all of these weeks you're going to see. And we're going to deal with that on a bigger macro level. But this situation with Adam and Eve is this. You have to understand this. Uh, God allowed her to make a choice. Because without choice, there is no morality. That's what separates us. I mean, we, we, we are made in God's image, and one of those is the ability to morally choose. And if you don't have the ability to choose, you don't have uh, morality. You don't have free will. And God created us with free will and want to develop morality within us. And so it's important to understand the power of choice. And, and so with that, when they chose, and yeah, they chose wrong. Thank you, Adam and Eve, right? We're all going to be side-eyed in them in heaven, like, you know, they're over there worshiping, like, yeah, right? We, 
So number one, understand that's why God allowed that. Because as human beings, the beautiful thing we have is free will and the ability to, to grow morality and all that. But I think the overarching thing I want you to understand is this. And this is powerful because the next question that we deal with is we deal with this too. God will use all things for his glory. And that's the power. Like, like even the fall of man will be used for the glory of God. Well, how? What about this? Everything will be used for the glory of God. And I think that's what you have to understand with that is that what we think is bad, what we think is terrible is something that God, it's amazing how he redeems it and uses it for his glory. And so all things are used for his purposes. I mean, even it says in uh, the book of Romans that he makes some vessels for honor and some for dishonor. And they both will give glory to God. Now, do I fully understand what that means there about the sovereignty of God, responsible to man? No, we don't fully understand that. What we do know is this. It will be used for his glory. And when we stand, and hopefully you're a follower of Jesus and you've surrendered to Christ and you're on your way to heaven. So when we stand in front of God and we're all worshiping together, this amazing, magnificent creator who's way bigger than what we are, we could ever imagine. At that point, you'll understand about it. It was all done for his glory and can be used for his glory. So that's why. The second thing is this, though. He didn't make us susceptible to Satan's powers. We chose sin. And here's what you have to understand is this. Um, we choose sin all the time. And the beautiful thing about this is we chose sin, but then God gave us the solution for that. And even in Genesis, and I love this, and we're going to be talking about this in December, is that God, created, God then killed an animal and made animal clothing for them. They had fig leaves on. He said, remove those fig leaves that you've made. I've got something. I've got a provision for you. And that's what the gospel is, that God, yes, we sinned. We chose sin. We were born into sin. And yes, the wages of sin are death and hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he provides the gift for us. And everything that we think is bad can be used for his glory and for the gospel. So here's the second question here. Um, and this one kind of tag, you know, tags into that. Does God and the devil play some sort of chess game? That's the first part of this question. Why did God allow Satan to tempt Job? And then the other question is, why does it say that God sent evil spirits to Saul? This is, and, and these all kind of tie in together. Um, number one, yes, there was some sort of wager in the book of Job between God and Satan about Job. And this righteous man and Satan says, hey, you know what? I guarantee he'll curse you if I take the stuff from him because he's because Satan believes he's a worshiper of stuff, right? Not a worshiper of God. God says, okay, fine, but go ahead and I'll show you. And so we don't know exactly, again, all the details of the wager there. And you have, a, a, you have to understand this here. The story of Job will reveal to you how you view this if you're able to actually follow Jesus or not. Because you have to understand that we are the creation and he is the creator. You have to understand there's a sovereignty and a providence to God that's way beyond your pay grade. And you have to also understand that whatever God chooses to give you in life, that's what he has chosen to give you. A follower of Jesus will worship in glad obedience no matter what happens. Because you're submitted to his lordship. I mean, Job, in this book, the book of Job is summed up. God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Here's how you will really determine if somebody really got saved or not and really knows Jesus. It's not when God gives to them. It's when God takes away. And it's in those moments when God takes away. It's in those moments when, when things happen you never thought. Do you really believe that he will take what the enemy has meant for evil and turn it for good? Will you really, really begin to pray for those who've hurt you? Will you really dig into the disappointments of life? That's what a follower of Jesus is. It's not when things are good. It's not when, when everything, everybody gets healed all the time and everything's great. It's when things go wrong. Was Here's the story of Job. You ready? Remember Adam and Eve? He uses all things for his glory. And what's beautiful about the, the book of Job is that God just didn't give Job double for what he lost. That's what we thought. Well, he, God just gave him double for what he lost. No, Job serves God in faithful, glad obedience no matter what he has dealt, Right? And even his friends who come and give him bad advice about why he, you know, this is why this has happened. They all, you know, everybody, everybody has an opinion about your life. Can I tell you, um, be very careful who you listen to. Everybody, well, I thought he should have and she should have. And, you know, that, that's great, armchair quarterback. And that's what they were. And you know what Job does? Job, Job prays for his friends. He actually intercedes. Job 40, he intercedes for his friends. He submits himself to God. And he was faithful. And then God used that faithful, glad obedience in a time of loss and hurt and heartache to then show his glory. And when you look throughout scripture, it is always the, the, the hero rises up. There is something very tragic that happens. They submit and they're faithful to the Lord. and They serve in glad obedience, no matter if he gives or takes. And then you see God's glory revealed. And that's why, and, and so you're wondering, are they playing? I, I, don't, I don't know all the details. I mean, here's the thing you're going to have to live with if you're going to follow Jesus. It's called ambiguity. Meaning that if, your whole, if you think you can understand God and you can figure God out, then that's not a God worth serving. He is way, way, way beyond what we can imagine. And do you know what happens when, when people say, well, uh, well, if, if a loving God would do that, I'm not going to follow him. You're judging God. You know why people are not judging you? You're then trying to make judgment on the creator? He can choose to do what he wants to do, and he's justified in it. And he's right because he's truth. And see, this is not popular because we all want a God that will do what we want him to do. And that's the problem with our culture. To give us everything we want, to make sure life is smooth and life is easy. And can I tell you, if you're looking for that, do not serve Jesus. That's not, Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. I'm glad you came to Thrive Church there. Are you encouraged yet? <laughs> the second question is this, which is, again, talks about the motive of God. Why does it say that God sent evil spirits to Saul? Now, here's what you have to understand about Saul is that it says also there, Saul was a king of Israel, if you didn't know that, who was, ended up becoming wicked, disobeying God left and right, and then God raised up David. Um, God will use everything for his glory, remember that? Everything. So it says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. In the Old Testament, the spirit of God did not dwell inside of people. That only happened whenever Acts 2 happened, the church was born, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell believers. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God actually anointed and came upon people and gave them power and strength to live, you know, out for, for God then. And God anointed Saul. Samuel anointed him. But because of his rebellion over and over and over, 
the spirit of the Lord was removed from Saul. And it says that then an evil spirit was sent to torment. Now, what we have to understand there, that was God's judgment upon Saul because of his continued blatant disobedience. Blatant disobedience. Do you know how God used that for his glory? Saul had this evil spirit tormenting him, and he called for someone who could play the harp and the lyre. Those two, two instruments are very soothing. Guess who they found? A guy named David. And he came and entered the king's court to do that. And then you see the, the David and Saul back and forth and all that, and David ends up becoming king. God used it for his glory. Now, did God send that evil spirit to him to, to hurt him? No. But I'll, I'll tell you what God will do for us. If you say, well, how's that played in our life? If you continue to live in blatant disobedience, the judgment of the Lord is not to hurt you or to harm you, it's to bring you back to him. And so even if, if God allows those things, if God allows the spirit or sends it, whatever you want to believe about it, God uses that to bring you back to him. Why? So he will receive glory and honor. And so when you look at that there, what happened there, God received glory. And all these things, there's a theme that goes on is that whatever the Lord chooses, we submit, give or take away. And you know what? God will use even the bad things for his glory. Here's the next uh, question here. And this is a, a big one that we talked about in week one. What is the difference between free will and predestination? Free will and predestination. Now, this is where you get into the two lanes of Christianity that I talked about. You have one lane way over here, and this is the guardrail that's up there. You can't go past it. One over here, can't go past it. And it's, again, you have John Calvin who taught reformed theology. That's predestination, and that's, again, God chooses who goes to heaven and hell. That's, that's reformed theology. And that's John Calvin. That's a, you know, a lot of the guys who, again, operate in that camp. And they have different views of that, right? That God foreknew and he elected those who'd be saved. And he, you know, those who are going to hell, he chose those two who would go to hell. So that's, that's there. And those are Christians. You may disagree, but that's Christian doctrine. Then way over here, you have Armenian. And Armenians are those who, have, who believe in free will. That man has all free will to choose heaven or hell or whatever that is. And that, again, God foreknows and God knows all things actual, all things possible, there's, but there's total free will. And that's the biggest difference there, is that do you believe that God not only foreknew, but also he predestined, right? Um, he predetermined who would go to heaven, who'd go to hell, who'd do this, who'd do that. And so what you have to do is you have to choose what you believe about that. It doesn't matter what I even believe. It doesn't matter what your neighbor believes. It doesn't matter what you believe about it. As you study the scriptures, you say, well, you know, I really appreciate the doctrine there uh, that Calvin has offered us with the five, you know, the five points of Calvinism. But, I, you know, I probably want to lean more here. And then I do agree with this, but I disagree with that. And so free will and predestination, that's pretty much what it comes down to. And you've got to decide what you agree with with that um, and what's comfortable for you. Um, I had a lot of friends when I planted my first church in Florida. Um, they were called the young, reformed, and restless. <laughs> Because they were those who were Armenians, and they uh, got turned on to Reformed doctrine, which I love. There's a lot of the Reformed preachers I love, like the John Pipers of the world and, you know, um, R.C. Sproul and those guys. Really beautiful about the gospel. I learned a lot. But these guys wanted to argue all the time. And the thing is, you'll never win an argument with Calvinists because it's circular reasoning. You know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You're not, not going to get around that. And so we just had to, my, my friend uh, Tim and I, and Tim was a, a Baptist pastor. Um, and so um, he, didn't, he, did, he did not agree with the five points of Calvinism. We just told our friends this. We said, shut up. We ain't going to talk about that no more. 
we disagree. Can we talk about something and not argue the whole time? And so you have to figure out where do you um, line up on that and where is your heel to die on? The next question is this, can you lose your salvation? It will depend where you're at. Where are you at in the, in the lanes of Christianity? Which, which guardrail are you up against? Because if you're reformed or, or close to Calvinism, you kind of slide that way. The belief is this. Once you, uh, again, give your life to Jesus, you're sealed to the day of redemption. You're truly saved. That Jesus redeemed you, your works did. And that's what they believe. And that you, no, you cannot lose your salvation. Um, the other side of it is this. And this is the, the free will people say, well, yeah, you walk away. You know, Noah had the ark. He could have got out and drowned, jumped out and drowned, right? You can also walk away from Jesus. And you have to decide where you land with that. You have to understand where, and the question will become on the, the, the reform side is, can you lose your salvation? The question will become this, were they ever really saved? Because you can say a prayer, you can say, I accept Jesus in my heart, but did you truly surrender to the Lordship of Jesus and surrender your whole life to him? Did you truly? And I can't answer that question because I have seen people that I really thought that did. And later on the road, whether they walked away or whether they never really saved, I don't, I don't know what the, what the real, I, again, that's above my pay grade as a pastor. I don't know what happened there in their heart, um, but I do know they're not following Jesus anymore. Now, the, the question then remains, and there are some who believe this, that if they walk away from Jesus, will they still go to heaven? There are, some, there are some sects of Christianity that believe, yes, you'll still go to heaven unless you're an apostate. And then some believe, even if you're apostate, even if you deny the Lord Jesus, you'll still get to heaven if you, at, at one, some point in time, said a prayer. Um, personally, um, I don't believe that. Um, I do believe if you're truly saved and the Holy Spirit of God truly comes to live inside of you, there's transformation and there's fruit, right? And that my friend said it best. He says, I was asking him how, how things were going with him and Jesus. He said, well, some days I'm following Jesus and some days he's following me. <laughs> Meaning running after him to get him back in. He has a shepherd um, with that. But you've got to decide where, where do you land with that? And again, you can argue all day because both sides there have a lot of scriptures to go back and forth to that. And you could, you could argue all day, all day long. And at the end of the day, it's not for me to convince you which one to believe. Here's what we believe at Thrive. Jesus saves. Um, and what I would say, if you're following Jesus, fully follow him. Right? I mean, lean into him. It's the best thing that will ever happen for your life. And so um, that's when it comes to the question of can you lose your salvation? See, a lot of you want me to tell you what to believe. That's not my job. My job is to show you this is what Christianity is. Now you've got to decide what you believe about it. And that's where it comes to you developing doctrine within Protestant Christianity. Um, the next one is this. Again, the foreknowledge of God. If God knows what is going to happen, then why should we pray anyways? And um, I'll never forget, I had this one um, asked to me whenever I'd first given my life to Jesus, and I had a guy at work who asked me that. And I really didn't know how to answer him. I'd just given my life to Christ. I wasn't really sure. But here's what we have to understand. Uh, number one is that God chooses to partner with mankind and chooses to listen to our prayers. God also foreknows, Right? So this is really, again, the foreknowledge of God. And this is where you, it gets really sticky about what you believe about that. Because you may believe he's already planned everything out. What's going to happen is going to happen anyway. And it's just, we're just all playing out a movie script. And so it's kind of like, you're almost like living out Ecclesiastes. Why does it even matter? And that's a cynical place to be. 
Um, I think the right place to be as a believer with this question is, number one, the creator of the universe, because I serve Jesus and I've given my life to him, I can approach him because of the blood of Jesus, and I get to pray. I get to go to him, and I get to bring these prayers to him. Now, um, there was one, and I, as I studied this this week, because I, I do go through, I mean, listen, I, I've studied all this stuff and been through school, but I wanted to really get fresh perspectives. One perspective was really good that I heard. So with the foreknowledge of God, this is a possible scenario that you could play out with this. God, already, God does know what's going to happen. He has foreknowledge, right? Yep, he gives us free will to choose, too. It's crazy, like, how, how that works. Now, how does that all start and stop? I don't know, guys. I'm just a human... Being a pastor does not make me any more, more human than you. But here's the scenario. Let's say um, Bob has cancer, right? And everybody wants Bob to be healed, of course. So um, let's say his friend Joe gets all his families and friends together, and they come together, and they pray. And let's say he's miraculously healed of cancer, right? So the question is, did God foreknow that he was going to be healed of cancer? Did, he, he already know, did God know all that? God did, but God also foreknew that Joe would pray for Bob and get family and friends around him and chose to show his glory through that. Just because God foreknows something doesn't mean we should forego prayer because prayer is us showing our Heavenly Father we love him and we trust him in whatever he chooses to do. The greatest thing my son can say to me is dad help because he trusts that dad will come through. Dad, I have a question about something really important because he trusts that his dad will show him, will teach him, will, is there for him. And guys, our Heavenly Father is the same way, that we go to him, even though he foreknows things. I don't know how all that works out, guys. I don't know how all that plays out, but I do know the greatest privilege we have on earth is to partner with God in prayer. And how that moves and how that works, um, I don't know exactly. Because we, we, we did see one time in Scripture it said God relented. God changed his mind. It says God changed his mind. It's God, yeah, there's so many that would say yes and some to say no. All we know is this. We have the privilege. God does foreknow. And Jesus told us to pray, to ask, to seek, to knock. He told us to go after that. So if Jesus, who is the Son of God, told us that, that's obedience to pray and to go after what God has for us. See, um, again, you're going to come back to this mystery of the sovereignty and providence of God. Everything's coming back to that, right? So when you have, if you have questions in your heart about the sovereignty and providence of God and people coming to you, you're going to have to do what I'm doing and say, hey, hey, if I could figure that out, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. If, if I could figure out the sovereignty of God and providence of God, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be, I'd, I'd be telling the future and doing everything else, right? I'd, I'd have powers way beyond what a human would have. We just don't have that, and we just don't know. And you're going to have to be okay with not knowing 100% why. I told you before, stop being Sherlock Holmes and trying to figure it out. It doesn't work that way. Um, and you've got to be okay with the situations that you have. And give or take away, you're going to serve him because you're not going to figure out why in every circumstance. Uh, here's the question about the Bible. All right. So why do we call it the Bible? That's a great question. <laughs> so we call it the Bible because um, in the Middle Ages, there was uh, two words, which is holy book that was put together. And the first time the word holy Bible was ever used was in the 1611 King James Authorized Version, which meant the holy book. And so, um, or the holy books. And so that's kind of like, you know, where that name came from. 
The second question about the Bible is this. What's the difference between the Old and the New Testament? Well, understand this too. That word testament means covenant. It's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, right? And so when you read the Old Covenant, primarily it's about the Jews. It's about the fall of man. It's about God uh, raising up the people of Israel from one man named Abraham and their journey all the way through, becoming a, becoming a nation, God blessing them, God doing all the things he said. And through the, the Old Covenant, there's one theme. God promised and told Eve this. He said, from your seed, from your, your, your children, I will crush the head of the serpent. That is what the Old Testament is about, get, the, get, getting Messiah from Eve all the way to Mary in the lineage and protecting it. And that's what it's all about. Everything you read through there, well, why did God allow wars? And he's a judge. Because you know why? Because he wanted to bring Messiah. And there were nations that were demonic that wanted to destroy Israel because Satan knew the promise. If I could destroy the seed, there's no Messiah. And that's what the Old Testament's about as you keep going through. Now, there's a lot of beautiful stories in there, a lot of cool things in there, but that's what it's all about when you go through it. It's the Old Covenant. It's the covenant of works. It's a covenant God made with the Jews. Um, and again, it's about if you do this, you're blessed. If you don't do this, you're cursed. And then we have the New Covenant, the New Testament, which is grace, which is Jesus Christ, which you are saved by grace through faith, right? That's what the whole New Covenant is about. And so um, when you read the Bible, that's, that's the two. And the whole theme's Jesus all the way through. Uh, the next question is this. Um, how and where uh, do I start reading in the Bible? Now, I would usually have told you read the Gospel of John, which that's a good place to start. But I would say this. Number one, start in the New Testament. Don't try to start in the Old Testament first unless you have a great study Bible and someone to walk with you to answer questions. Because this one get real boring in Leviticus. And you, and you don't understand that, that, that he, he sent those laws to the Jews to help them. You'd be like... Don't, don't bull a, a baby goat in his mother's milk. I mean, do I really need to be told that? All right. Um, but I would say this. Start with the book of James. Very practical. Very applicable. Do that. And then maybe go to the Gospel of John. Go through the Gospels and learn about Jesus. But start with the New Testament first. and Have, have a good study Bible and someone to help you. The next question is this. What are the benefits of meditating on the Word of God? And what is the Word of God? Well, the Word of God is the Bible. Number one, that's the, the Holy Bible we have. And then meditating on it means this. It means to muse, to think deeply. That means to read the scriptures and to think about it, get it inside of your heart, to memorize and to think. When you read the Bible, you always got to ask the question, what is God asking me to do? And so that means meditating the word of God is putting that word in your heart. Um, the next question is something that's um, interesting. It says, what's the difference in Psalms, um, a difference that's written in Psalms between the law statutes, not statutes, but statutes, <laughs> commandments, judgments, precepts, and testimonies. Psalms 119 has all of these words in there. Like, well, what does this all mean? Well, um, quickly, what this means is this. A commandment is an order to do something. That's what a commandment is, to follow his commandments. A charge given us to us to watch over and keep. If you wonder what the Bible says about something, it's very clear in the New Testament about a lot of things that we think isn't clear. That's a commandment. A judgment, in modern terms, is our understanding would, um, would be that judgment's being referred to tell us how to handle a certain situation according to God's standards. For example, in the Old Testament, when adultery was committed, they were given a process to follow in order to handle things God's way in the Old Testament. That's what the 613 laws were, the Torah. When an animal was injured while under the care of another, they were given instructions on what type of retribution was owed. The 613 laws, that was the, command, the judgments there. You have commandments and you have judgments. 
The next is statutes and ordinances. And continuing on a statute and an ordinance is a civil decree or an enactment from our creator, something prescribed for us to do or a boundary that's set. And so when you read that, um, it's really what God, what are those things? It's what God wants us to do with our life. That's as simple as it can be put. Uh, the next question is this. What version of the Bible is the right version? Well, of course, it's the King James Version only. <laughs> what question is that? Why for art thou ask the question? I wish I ought, 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 ought to preach. The people who want only the King James, I should preach in Shakespearean. It would drive you crazy. <laughs> um, but this is a great question. The version, the right version of the Bible is, number one, it has to be, you know, like, like authorized. It can't be like, you know, some, you know, some crazy version. But it's the version that helps you understand and memorize the Word of God the most. Um, so, amen. So quickly, let, let me say this. Um, you have, like, I took New Testament Greek, so I had to read the Bible in Greek, right? Koine Greek, and had to break it down. And we had to look at all the translations up against Greek and to understand what the translation was trying to accomplish. The most literal translation that you can have that is right in line with the Koine Greek of the New Testament is the New American Standard Bible Update. They keep updating it. It's, that's what we read next to the, to, to, to the Koine Greek Bible if we had to, to handle things. Um, you know, the King James Version is, is very good, but it also, too, um, with it is in Shakespeare. If you're like, well, I don't understand Shakespeare, you know, type of language and that, that English, then get New King James Version. That makes you feel comfortable. Uh, the New Living Translation is the most easy to understand, and that's what I teach from. Chuck Swindoll, you guys all know Chuck Swindoll. If you don't, man, a great guy to follow. It's been a, just a, man, a spiritual leader for years. Um, in his, his latest book on how to understand the Bible, he, he, he says the New Living Translation is the best one to use. I like to use that because it's understandable. Why do I do that? Jesus said that those who don't understand the word, it's taken from their hearts. So if I'm preaching the gospel to you or I'm sharing the Bible to you, you don't understand what's being said. It says that Satan can take that seed from your heart. I want you to understand what's being read. That's the most important one. The, the New International Version which my, my, uh, my grandfather hated. He was King James only. Like, he just went off on that thing. Uh, it's from the devil. You know? um, now, it's beautiful because what, what it's going to do is it's going to actually uh, do it more in thought form, not word by word. New NASB updated, it's word for word, and it brings all the Greek together. Not as easily understandable as some things. The New International Version, however, is thought for thought in paragraph form. Now, one of the things that comes up, I do want to hit this uh, quickly, is people will say, yeah, but, um, but you know, it, it, it takes some words out. It does this and does that. Here's why they do that. And this is what you have to understand how the Bible was created, is that we have many manuscripts that we can date. That, imagine if you wrote the same, if you wrote a letter, and then somebody took that letter and read it, and they wrote it, and then somebody else took that letter, and then while they were writing it, they realized that you made a mistake. Let's say the third person who got that 10 years later looks and says, they forgot that word there. I'll just put that word in their form and I'll put a little star by it. And so we actually can see where the edits were made. So there's some things in our earliest manuscripts that were added later. And it's great to know that, to, to know, well, why, you know, because a scribe came in and said, well, let's add it there. So you think, well, how do I trust things? The Bible is one of the most, it is, it, again, historically, the most accurate book that you have from, from that era because of all the manuscripts we have leading up to it. And so when you look at it, you have to understand that, yeah, sometimes in the NIV or NLT, it'll tell you this, man, this was added later because there was a scribe that added something in there or that word's not even in our original manuscripts. And it's important to, to know that there. Um, and again, study on how it was created. This is so good. Um, should we take the Bible literally? Yes and no. 
There are certain things you take literally. Yes, we're commanded in the New Testament, don't do and do. But when Jesus says, cut your hand off if it offends you, don't do that. Pluck your eye out, don't do that. He's speaking in a figure of speech, in hyperbole. But yes, when it comes to literal, were these miracles literal? Yes, uh, miracles were literal. This, yes, literal happened, yeah. And the way to know, like, even things like Jonah, um, do you think, did Jesus believe that Jonah and the fish actually happened? Of course, he talked about it. Did Jesus believe the Garden of Eden and the fall of man? Yes, he talked about it. I mean, so, like, you have to understand, what did, what did Jesus in the New Testament even say, too? Because they believed all this stuff as well, and they took it as literal, even the Old Testament came to miracles. Um, now, this is a good one here. And we'll be wanting to know here, are there other gospels such as the gospel of Thomas? And why wasn't that included with the four gospels? Great question. Um, here's why. The gospel of Thomas is, was written way after Thomas the apostle died. And we know that because you can tell what literary style, what paper they used, what parchments. And they found, again, they found this gospel around 1945. Um, you know, and when they found this, it has 114 sayings. Some of them are what Jesus would say, like, in the other Gospels. And then it has stuff there that's like, Jesus, like, wouldn't say that. Like, there's nowhere in the New Testament with anything that we see that that would line up. The other way that we know this is um, the second century church fathers that we have, they knew the first century apostles and were under them. So it's like, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We... We know what John said. We know John wrote this. It was, it was um, authorized because they knew it. It's like if you knew somebody who passed away, right? Let's say you know somebody and they wrote you a letter. You say, oh, no, no, no. I, I, know, I knew him and he wrote that letter. I, I was there. And so by the time the third century came about, you had a, a, a lineage of people who didn't did know. Oh, yeah, he wrote that letter. It's, it's definitely authorized with that. So when it came to the Gospels, they knew which ones were legitimate and which ones weren't. Why? Because they were there. They were, I mean, it's it not like the apostles all died and then, you know, they, they all just began to come up with Christianity. Those letters were already written and authorized. Um, the, the question's here, and I'm going to close quickly. Do I have to go to church to be saved? No, but it's going to be really hard if you don't live in community. Christianity, I said before, said again, is a team sport, not individual. Um, and then one of the questions is, why do we have church on Sunday instead of Saturday? Because we want to have fun on Saturdays. <laughs> no, um, let me say this uh, quickly here is uh, this. You can go to church any day you want to. Um, Sunday is when Jesus rose from the dead. And the church switched over um, from when the Jews began to meet together on Sundays to celebrate that. that but they went, they went to synagogue, the Jewish synagogue on Saturday but they would celebrate um, and take communion and meet together on Sundays because that's the first day of the week, the day the Lord was risen. Do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? No, you don't have to, but you should want to, to show your faith to the world and proclaim that you died and your new life is now in Christ. And the final one is this, why are there so many denominations? Um, because there's so much internal, good, in a good way, criticism of the text. We have the most internally, scholarly, criticized religious book in the world. Like we, we, we have lanes of Christianity and we all dissect it. There's a lot of com conversation with it. And it's beautiful. It gives checks and balances to the body of Christ. I told you this. I'll say it again. The next time there's, a, there's one denomination, somebody with one word order in the Antichrist. 
to be very careful when that happens. I'm thankful for all the different denominations um, and what the movements they've come from. If you study it, it's actually beautiful of what, how they were birthed and what God did. Um, from, you know, John Wesley and the Methodist movement and um, John Calvin and then, you know, the Pandazusa Street Revival and Pentecostalism and all, just all the beautiful things that, that came forth from these movements that happened. Um, so I want to close with this today. And I said this last one, I'll say it again. It's okay to have doubts and follow Jesus. He's okay with your doubts. Just bring them to him. And as you read, you study, and you grow, God will clear those things up for you. He wants you to walk with him with your doubts and your hurt and your pain, your disappointment. Um, God is with you and for you in that. Let's pray this morning. Father, this morning I come to you and I pray that you continue to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding with all the questions we have about Christianity. Help us, Lord, to understand, to grow, Father, in you and to follow you even with our doubts. And today, if you want to give your life to Jesus, maybe say, man, I want to just give my life to Christ. I want to take that next step in my life right where you're sitting. I want you to pray this prayer after me. You say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. And I need the Savior. I confess Jesus as my Lord. I believe he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. Today I repent and I ask for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name.